Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek. Macworld Magazine, January 1989. The Iconoclast by Stephen Levy. Adventures in the Ram Trade. The memory shortage encourages backdoor deals and money grubbing. Peter Kilcommons is a fresh-faced former orthopedic surgeon. He looks a little bit like the actor Jeff Daniels, who brokers in the esoteric field of ram chips. The other day, I visited him. His company, Network Specialties, is located in an area of Manhattan now called NoHo, which sounds a lot better than the Bowery. Skid Row is a crack bottle throw away. From his renovated building, he supervises the production of some neat networking products, but mostly he deals in the RAM trade. These days, it is like something out of a Thomas Pynchon novel. It seems we are in a crisis, a worldwide shortage of DRAM. RAM, of course, stands for Random Access Memory, where the computer stores and processes information in a given session. The D stands for Dynamic Memory and is pronounced separately as in DRAM. The other variety of RAM chip is called Static Memory. Some people refer to this shortage as though they're speaking of a natural disaster, like a drought. Actually, it's a scam, though sufficiently complex to cloud the issue of where the villainy lies. In the confusion, people like Peter have found a handy profit center. Peter works through a guy whose name he doesn't want me to print. This guy has contacts with some of the big chip makers. Often, Peter will get a call from his friend saying that a certain number of chips is available. Then Peter finds someone who wants the chips. After that, the real fun begins. In these, the days of the RAM crisis, Peter explains, there are no organized methods for getting chips to customers. The exceptions are standing contracts that chip makers have with big companies. Apple, for instance, has survived the worst of the disaster so far by having locked in good prices from its Far East suppliers. Everybody else has to scuffle. And even the big computer firms need more chips than their contracts provide, so they have to go to the spot market through brokers who buy from what is called the back door of the factories. The price is whatever the market will bear, and that price is further inflated by the odd conglomerate of brokers and subbrokers that has managed to insinuate itself between a chip manufacturer and the eventual purchaser. Each broker gets a piece of the deal. In the Chips Peter protects himself with something he calls a non-circumvent agreement, which assures that he will not be cut out of the profits. I crawl through the chain of brokers. I've gone through as many as twelve, he says. He has to keep a sharp eye out because, as a self-described little guy, he can't afford to buy the chips first and then find a buyer. He must do it the other way around. The danger is that he might find a buyer only to find that the chips are no longer available. The phenomenon of vapor chips would erode his credibility in which he takes pride. On the other hand, he has to make sure his buyer will actually pay up when the chips come, so he procures what the trade calls an RWA document, pledging that the buyer is ready, willing, and able to pay for those chips at the quoted price. 
Peter's mysterious partner has done well. In a time when, according to Peter, a lot of guys are running around Japan with wads of money trying to buy parts, he seems to come up with plenty. Only one time was there trouble. The partner heard of 2 million Samsung 256ers, translation, 256K RAM chips made by the Korean conglomerate Samsung, and flew to Seoul to check them out. They were labeled legitimately and rated at 120 nanoseconds. This rating is key since certain processing speeds are required for certain uses. For instance, chips that work at 150 nanoseconds are fine for the Mac SE, but won't work in the Mac 2, whose processor requires a faster rating. But 12 hours after paying for them, when the partner actually tested the chips, it turned out that a significant percentage ran at the laggardly speed of 200 nanoseconds. The chips were obviously rejects. Kill Commons and Partner had been burned. More common, though, was the successful order, like the one consummated the week before I visited Network Specialties. Peter showed me the order. Half a million Samsung 256ers at $10.30 a unit. In other words, a half-million-dollar sale. This was very good for Peter, but I couldn't help thinking that if things had been working the way they should have been, the price of those chips would have been more in the neighborhood of $100,000. But things have not been working the way they should. Something is rotten in memory land. The price drop that didn't. While the DRAM shortage offers Peter a repertoire of amusing tales, it spells disaster for the user, particularly in the Macintosh market. Although Apple Computer professes not to be overly bothered by the crisis, this RAM thing is costing too many people too much money and is gumming up the entire Macintosh community at a time when it's growing like a bean sprout. The ripple effect from this ripoff is that memory upgrades are very expensive, sometimes prohibitively so, at a time when they are needed most. And new computers are not coming down in price. For the first time in memory, they are going up. That's right, in the midst of a general consensus that Macintoshes cost too much, Apple computers celebrated September by raising the prices of SEs and Mac 2s, all because of memory. In the random access file this week, you should have bought that Macintosh last week. Apple just announced some hefty price increases on Macs, laser printers, and other Apple products. The basic Mac 2 goes up $1,100 to $4,869. The basic Mac SE goes up $400 to $3,169. And the Laser Rider 2 goes up $400 to $4,999. This crisis first hit the Macintosh world in August 1987 when almost everybody who had a Macintosh suddenly needed more RAM in order to run HyperCard and MultiFinder, two programs that made obsolete the memory configuration of one megabyte. At that time, you could add two megabytes to your Mac's RAM, using the preferable one megabyte SIMs, for about $600 if you shopped well. I recall doing so and grumbling about it, because if history was to be my guide, the same memory upgrade would cost about $200 in a year or so. That's the way memory prices have gone, at least until recently. You old-timers can recall the original Macintosh with the mighty powerhouse of 128K of memory. 
you could write maybe six pages of a document before the curtain came down. A spreadsheet would go bluey if your numbers approached six figures. So when Apple finally unveiled the Fat Mac, with a whopping 512 kilobytes of memory, some people paid for the upgrade immediately. A thousand dollars! Not long afterward, Apple cut its prices to $600, then to around $400. By then, the street price of an upgrade was about $200. The same phenomenon occurred when people upgraded to a megabyte. Why? For the same reason, our computers are now less expensive and more powerful than they were a decade ago. After chips are designed, and the factories that make them are built, they cost almost nothing to produce. So while the first 64K RAM chips were costly, they could be had at drastically reduced prices once there were millions of them. Same with the 256K chips involved in the Fat Mac upgrade. And supposedly the same thing would happen with the 1 megabyte chips currently in vogue. But that's not happening. The upgrade I grumbled about at $600 would cost almost $1,000 today. Behind the Drought To explore the factors behind the shortage, I called up DataQuest, a high-tech consulting firm that studies the memory business and often uses its information to make predictions, some of which are worth the time of day. A friendly fellow named Sheridan Tetsuno provided the background for the problem. The 1986 anti-dumping chip agreement the United States made with Japan artificially set a, quote, fair market value for chips. But not all companies had to toe that line. Korean giants like Samsung weren't covered, nor was NEC, which made its chips in America. So the Japanese companies that held to the agreement couldn't get the fair market value, since Samsung and others undersold them. As a result, those companies stopped making DRAMs, and fewer chips were available. Also. Some chip factories were switching from the manufacture of 256K chips to the newer 1 megabit versions. As a result, they were out of commission for a while, and then some of the new factories had problems yielding quality chips. Meanwhile, the demand for RAM was higher than ever in both the Mac and MS-DOS worlds. All of that spelled drought. Thus began the price increases, as well as the intense underground brokering. DataQuest believes that the shortage will ease in 1989. With more factories coming online and demand softening, prices will come down steadily, says Tatsuno. His colleague at DataQuest, Vic de Dios, predicts that by mid-year, the market price of a 1 megabit chip will drop by over half. On the other hand, there is Peter Kilcommons. It's his theory that the chip makers are doing so well in selling out the back door, so to speak, that they have no incentive to supply big companies with lower chip prices. A factory knows a good deal when it sees it, he says. If a company has ongoing purchase orders at $2.90 a chip, why honor it when you can sell the same chip for $6 out of the back door? In other words, if you're waiting for the price of memory to drop like a stone before buying that upgrade, don't hold your breath. You're going to need a bank loan before you equip your machine for MultiFinder and FullWrite. Happy Apple As a coda to this dire scenario, 
I must report that Apple Computers seems rather unperturbed by the situation. When asked about the DRAM shortage, an Apple spokesperson said several times that the company had experienced 50% growth for several quarters. So how bad could the problem be? Apple had long ago won favorable contracts from chip makers, she said, adding that the chip makers are virtually partners with Apple, sharing strategies and cementing a, quote, very secure long-term relationship. So forget about those rumors that Apple will attempt to assure its supplies by building its own chip factory, as IBM has. Apple doesn't need to. As far as the RAM crisis goes, quote, we've always portrayed ourselves as being very fortunate, she said. Not so fortunate, of course, are Apple's customers. The long-term deals Apple cut with chip makers did not include sufficient RAM for the ever-important upgrade kits that would allow Mac users to take advantage of the growing list of memory hog programs. While the backlog of orders grew, the prices went up. In May 1988, a 2 MB Apple upgrade rose from $599 to $849, and then, three months later, to $1,100. And in September, as I mentioned before, Apple did the unthinkable. It increased the price of Macintoshes. By then, said the spokesperson, Apple itself had been forced to go to the spot market to find DRAM for its machines. In other words, Apple is now doing business out of the back door of chip factories, probably those same companies who have the, quote, partnership with Apple. Interesting. So today we're announcing the Mac 2 uh, CX. And you have the, uh, the Motorola 6803 processor, the floating-point coprocessor. Uh, there's a uh, SIM slot for uh, future ROM upgrades. These are the eight uh, SIM slots for DRAM. We have, uh, as you know, we have lots of DRAM, so, you know. <laughs> buy, buy DRAM while supplies last. Um, Though Apple does not claim prescience, it expects that the chip shortage will continue into the first pan of 1989, and then ease. But people have been wrong in predicting the end of this shortage before, and those making bucks off of the shortage have a vested reason in continuing it. This does not sound like a prescription for prosperity, but more like one for profit-grabbing. Stephen Levy is a Macworld columnist and the author of the Unicorn's Secret, Murder in the Age of Aquarius, recently published by Prentice Hall. Um.